Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to Curious Anarchy. This is an episode of Brunch with Naomi Osaka, Mind the Gap with Antonio Ferreira today. Um, I'm also joined by my uh, wonderful and amazing co-host, Content, Mr. Mark. How are you? Well, hello, hello, hello. This is a, a joyous occasion to hear one of the most soothing voices on podcasts anywhere in the UK and the world. So uh, curious, what a pleasure it is to be in your company. And I'd like to take this opportunity to welcome Antonio. What a pleasure to have you on board. Thank you for having me. Welcome, Antonio. Um, Welcome to Curious Anarchy. Um, This episode is uh, on a series that we titled BWNO, meaning Brunch with Naomi. Asaka. Um, Mark, do you want to share why we called it that? Yeah, sorry, I had problems with my controls there. Yes, um, we were, we we constantly over the past two years we've been doing this, we, we've constantly tried to reflect news and sport that's going on around the world. And um, at one stage, we were, we were taken by the treatment of Naomi Osaka when she said that she wasn't in the right frame of mind to answer questions after um, playing in a tennis match where she was giving 100% of her energy. Um, she felt that she wasn't in the right place and also that it, it raised for her certain mental health issues. And what struck us was how uh, reactive and reactionary the, the response to her was. Instead of saying, okay, we'll support you, which they have done with other sports people in other fields. The whole of the tennis world, I'm talking about the organisation of the tennis world, united to threaten her, literally threaten her with expulsion from every tournament if she refused to do this after her next match in in the Australian Open. Um, It led to a situation where she actually retired from tennis for about a year to, to compose herself, basically. Um, what was striking was the lack of um, understanding of mental health support, mental health issues for sportsmen. And obviously that would, would be reflective on the way that society has a, a dichotomy in the way it responds to mental health. On the one level, they claim, oh, you know, it's good to talk and we want people to express their emotions. And as soon as you do that, rather than supporting and helping, they tend to clamp down and, and start labelling and and threatening. So we thought it was in honour to her resilience as a very young tennis player, and in complete contrast to people like Pete Sampras and Djokovic, who got all the support they wanted, the fact that she carried on fighting for her rights and her mental health. So we decided to name a series after that. It's It was our third series. Our first one was um, having, uh, um, uh, sorry, my mind's gone, with Dr. King. So um, that's how important we rated her response to this. So for us, there was always been an issue around supporting people with mental health issues and support around needs of um, suicidal thoughts, depression, etc. For myself, I've worked in that field. I worked with homeless people who were suicidal and depressed. And Jermaine has had a number of experiences he'll talk about, I'm sure. Um, 
So we, for us, it, it rates very highly that no human being should be left um, behind in terms of their mental health. Thank you, Mark. Um, a great way to open that up, actually. Um, Antonio, I know there was quite a lot said in that, um, but just really centering it around mental health and the approaches of the people around us in our environment. Um, like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think what was mentioned was a really good point in terms of, you know, there's two sides to it. There's a side that says it's good to open up, it's good to talk, but then there's a side that when people do decide to open up and talk, they actually receive a lot more backlash for doing so and a lot more labels. And I've always believed, you know, in a part of raising awareness um, of mental ill health, there's also been a misleading spectrum to it because you know when you think about well how many people from minority ethnic groups are raising awareness of their own mental Ill health it kind of gives the idea that those those people from those from those communities don't suffer with mental ill health and you know all we see is what we know so when we don't see enough people from a diverse background speaking of their experiences sharing how you know although all of our experiences are subjective sharing how different they are for each person we don't get the full picture of mental ill health. We just, as I said, we 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 get what we see, right? And or we see what is shown to us, and that in itself is a problem. And yeah, I mean, I always stick by the point that it's always good to to talk and speak up about your struggles, your vulnerabilities, your weaknesses, because you know I I fully believe with any mistake you make, you should be to a certain extent proud of the mistake you made in the face that it will only teach you to be better but you know that that isn't always accepted as it should be but as as again as I mentioned resilience is what gets us through those those hurdles of judgment and that's a really powerful thing that judgment and whether it's a perceived sense of judgment or whether it's actual judgment um, you know, in, in Naomi Osaka's case, she had the press pretty much vilifying her. There were YouTubers and all these personalities, celebrities coming out and speaking against it. Um, and also some that chose not to speak, not to say anything. Um, and it's quite telling when, you know, it, it comes down to something like mental health, which is kind of a foundational principle of how we live life, how we look after ourselves. Um, to stand by and not say anything is, is it sends a sign, it tells something about the, uh, the character of that person. Um, I wanted to kind of tap in just real quick, because I know that you're in a lot of activism and campaigning and you're an ambassador and there's a whole bunch of other things. I've seen you winning awards and everything. I, I see you flexing on the ground. I see you flexing on the ground for sure. Um, but yeah, if you could just sort of give us a, a quick brief overview of, of what you're up to right now and then we'll, we'll go back in time and then stitch it all together. 
Yeah, thank you. Uh, I appreciate you um, noticing my my work, um, especially on 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 Instagram. Yeah, um, yeah. There's a lot going on as you, as you picked up on. Um, I'm just, you know as a as a campaigner, as an ambassador, as an activist. At the moment, I I'm really just you know I think in all of activism, there's also a part that comes into expectation, right? And that expectation is you know being a beacon of hope to others, being, you know, inspiration to others, which is absolutely great. And, you know, I I wouldn't change that for anything really, but there also comes a part where people don't forget or don't remember that, you know, there's still a lot of other things going on. So for example, what, what I'm trying to get at is that I'm also still a student. So this year I've been trying to focus or, you know, put a lot more of my time into my studies and, um, completing my studies but aside from that you know to to answer your question there's just is this I've got a big campaign lined up for this year um and and I'm, unfortunately I can't tell you so much about it right now but I'm <sighs> yeah always, always happens, man. <laughs> <laughs> but no I, I mean I'm, I'm excited for it it's, it's a really important I believe a really important um issue um that campaign is focused around aside from that um just you know supporting charities with different projects um being part of different uh, groups to change to improve services as well for children young people and, and adults as well um yeah i mean you know i haven't won any more awards so <laughs> that's that's taken a a, a a break but yeah um that's really yeah you know for me it's this year just really about focusing on my studies more so um and doing what i managing my time better really Okay, thank you for that. Um, Mark? Yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued. Um, Antonio, you really intrigue me because you, you, on the one level, you've gone through all the, the battles and the, and the learning that you've been through. And on the other level, you're just growing and, and diversifying as much as you can. Um, I'm, somewhere along the way, when we explore where you, how you've stepped on those paths, I'm curious to see how you've managed to get that balance for yourself, how you've managed to get that equilibrium, because I think that's important. A lot of people struggling, that's where they fail, is they can't they can't have the sugar one side and the medicine the other and get it balanced. It, it falls down one way or the other, or they ignore one side of it. So I'm intrigued to explore that. But I, I want to share something with you I was literally just listening to about 20 minutes ago. There, there's a footballer called uh, Troy Deeney. I think he's played for Watford and a few other teams. and I think last year or the year before, he ended up being sent to prison for fighting. He, he got drunk and he had a fight with someone outside of a club. <clears throat> and when he was in prison, uh, it was in the Midlands where his family were from originally. Uh, he was do he went to the to do some weights, and um, a couple of the prisoners came over to him and said, "You're lucky that we know your father. Your father's a well known character in this area." He said, "If we didn't know him, you'd be filled in now. Like we'd be doing you in, because." You have everything and we have nothing and you end up in the same place as us. So he thought about this because he was in, often in solitary confinement and it led to him coming out and seeking help, support and therapy, learning how to talk about his emotions. Very much what like you were saying, Antonio. He learned to talk about his emotions and see a therapist and to take himself away from the triggers that set off his, his um, negative sides. 
And now he's growing as a human being in a way that he never dreamt he could grow because of that experience. Um, and I find it intriguing that it took him going to prison before someone could turn around to him and say, find other ways of expressing uh, the pain that you're going through. So with that in mind, Antonio, can you, for the audience, we have an audience all over the world now. And for the audience, let's, let's go back to the beginning. Where did you grow up? Where did you go to school? What was your family life like? Where did it all begin? Yeah, so for me, so we um, came over um, from Portugal uh, when I was three years old. And, you know, we we started off in in London, in Leeds, actually. And then from Leeds, we moved to London um, and we grew I grew up um, originally from in northwest London. And yeah, I, I you know, I agree with a lot you mentioned in Troy Dini's story. Um, that you know, when I was growing up, I was growing up with a lot of around a lot of friends, right? We moved a lot, and so I got to know many people in in different um areas of, of London. And you know, I was the youngest. I'm the youngest out of five brothers, so there's four. I have four older brothers, and I always felt like you know, as a as the youngest one, I always had to you know achieve the most, do the most. You know, I had to. I had to, although I had, I was the youngest, I had to be the top of the brothers sort of thing. And in school, you know, that was, that was, that was quite evident because, you know, whenever, whenever it came to education, I was very dedicated um, to my, to my learning, uh, you know, for, as, for homework, whenever I was given homework, I'd always complete that homework on the same night. I wouldn't waste more than 24 like hours. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. My mom, like, my mom wouldn't even need to tell me. I'd, I'd just do it. Exactly. Was, was it like that for you? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So it's exactly that. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, I just go and do it. And like, you know, even if I didn't have homework, I remember my, my, um, in year four, one of our teachers, my teachers had a, um, a, ha a handwriting competition and whoever had the best handwriting would win a um, blue handwriting pen. And I was so excited for this handwriting pen that I just, you know, whenever I never had homework, I'd copy out a whole book just to improve my handwriting. And by the way, I I won the pen, but that pen was very overrated. It, it didn't really change much. But anyway, because, you know, I was that dedicated, it became unhealthy because it became an expectation that because I was so high achieving, because I was so dedicated, because I was so you know, passionate about learning that it now became this um, I black or white thinking that I had to keep up that standard. And so going into high school, you know, I achieved to be in all top sets. I, you know, again, strive to do the most I could, um, revision and so forth. When it came to GCSEs now, you know, there was that indirect pressure from my family, my peers and teachers where they didn't realise the encouragement they were giving me was actually fueling this unhealthy expectation pressure that I was putting on myself, you know, when they would say things like, oh, Antonio is so smart and he's going to, you know, achieve so much and he's going to do so well and he's going to become this and become that. It, in my head, it was, there was no option. I had to now be what people expected of me, right? And so... I became extremely stressed because I was because of that pressure I was putting on myself. So stressed that I started um, experiencing physical symptoms. I started suffering from um, seizures, which at the time were 
called pseudo seizures, but now that term is um, outdated and it's now psychogenic seizures, which for the audience, if it's um, a replica of epileptic seizures, but they don't come from an epileptic background. In my case, they came from a stress, a stress threshold that my body just wasn't coping with. And so, you know, I, at that point, I didn't, I didn't know to talk about anything. I didn't know to, you know, speak of my vulnerability or my weaknesses. I, in my head, it was just, don't complain about the task, just get the task done. This is what you have to do, get it done, you know, carry on as you were. Like, I didn't even give a time for me to think for myself. You know, when, when people, as, as I mentioned earlier, when people said, oh, Antonio's going to be this, Antonio's going to be that. I wanted to personally play football. I, I'm, I'm a Man United fan. I wanted to become a footballer for Man Manchester United. But because everyone else's hopes and dreams for me were more, you know, sophisticated in the sense of they wanted, you know, they thought I'd be a doctor and so forth. I put aside what I wanted and put forward what everyone else wanted of me. And that, as, you, as I'm saying it, you can imagine how that became unhealthy for my own well-being. And so as things piled up and carried on, you know, I describe it as this boulder on my back that was getting heavier by the minute, really, and, you know, getting me closer to the ground to the point where I felt so much pressure that I couldn't handle that I thought, you know, the alternative is if I can't manage it, then just take myself away from it, you know, take myself out of this out of this world. And what happened was, and again, similar to, to, to Troy's experience, um, I being this model student and that had never gotten into any sort of disciplinary, I got my first detention. Oh, it is detention or isolation is I can't actually remember for gross defiance towards a senior, senior member of staff. And so, you know, from that behavior change, that's when people start, especially my head of year, my my parents started to wonder what was, you know, is something going on? Does Antonio need some sort of, you know, support? But at the time, because I you know, mental health, mental ill health wasn't a vocabulary in my dictionary or something I'd ever spoken on. It, it went more down the route of anger management, but in that I was referred to child adolescent mental health service. And I'll pause here in case you have anything to ask me in between. Yeah, I, I have loads to ask you, but uh, first of all, I want to apologize because in the past I've taken lots of children to CAMS and, and to be honest, it's never been a positive experience. So I hope you had a positive experience, but uh, I apologize in advance if it wasn't because I remember how poorly they've let down so many students. But coming back to when you were growing up, first question would be, you, you forced, because of the expectation, you forced yourself to be academic. And I know that in a lot of schools, kids get very badly bullied for for being uh, so so attached to their work rather than, you know, doing all the mischievous behavior that other kids would like you to join with instead. How did, did that happen for you? How did you cope with it? And my second question would be, when you, you said you had um, some fits earlier on, how did your brothers respond to that? Because they're meant to be your older brothers. How did they respond to, like, trying to find out if you had a problem or not, uh, you know, uh, seeing if they could help in any way? And unless, my last question would be, uh, my experience of the Portuguese community is that people like to uh, joke around a lot, you know, like they like to uh, have fun with people. And uh, did that kind of mask the, the emotions in some way for some of the community? I'm just curious. Yeah, there's some really good questions. Um, to answer your 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 first question, 
Uh, I think I've, I've actually forgotten what your first question was. I'm actually so sorry. Can you just repeat to me your first question? Yeah, my question? first question was, did you get like, I, I don't want to say bully because it just can be, sometimes it can just yes. be uh, the, taking the mickey all the time. But did you get a, a sense from people who were not academic that, oh, this is that guy that just studies all the time? Yeah, I, you know what? I, I think there wasn't so much of that for me because what it what would happen was so you know i would separate my um education from you know anything with my friends and if if that makes sense what i'm trying to say is while when i was in class i was around you know those those high achievers and they looked at it as wow you know this is the first i don't know i guess at the time young black person that we've seen that we're seeing in top set and they were more i guess inspired by that and or or really or yeah I guess inspired by that or I guess you know pleasantly surprised by that and the same thing for when I wasn't in class I'd you know I guess I'd, I'd, I'd hang out with I wouldn't hang out with, with my class class friends I'd hang out with you know friends from different sets and they would I guess I think would I presume would see it as motivation that you know I would go into class a different person and come out of class still um with with them so you know balancing the two sort of um um social groups but again this could also just be my compassion being blinding in the sense that that's how i saw it or that's how i chose to perceive it and not actually what the case was but to to the point of being being bullied i don't remember ever you know really being bullied or, or being or taking the mick out because i remember certain situations my friends would say you know you're the smart one out of the group. Focus on your, on your, on your books, and let the rest be um, the, be to us, sort of thing, you know. And I guess those are more my close friends. And if it weren't my close friends, and I didn't really hear anything from them, but yeah, that you know, again, as I said, maybe that's just how it was in my view. But that's how I remember it. Maybe it might have been different in primary school, or you know, at different time. But I, if if, it, if that's the case, then I don't remember. And I, and again, that could be due to some of some of that trauma being buried in, in memories that haven't been unlocked. But as I remember it, that as it is. And to answer your second question in terms, I, it was about uh, the fits, I think it was. Yeah, sorry, yeah, about like your friends and family, how they responded when they, like, they noticed that something was happening for you on a physiological level. And you said your brothers were older, for example, so maybe they had slightly more experiences. I just wondered how people responded. Was anyone supportive in terms of what you were going through at that period? Yeah. So at the time, I think I had I I, I had so much support from my brothers, from my friends, and from um, staff in in high school and college as well. Um, I remember, you know, when it became clear that I was constantly suffering with. With these fits i would have a, a room that i'd go into that would have had less people so i could you know if anything happened there'd be less of an audience they they um knew who were my closest friends so they knew who they could speak to um in terms of if they had any concerns i wanted to find out anything this these are my my the staff the teachers and my brothers my brothers are always you know well it, it's a big age group age gap between me and my brother so they weren't always around but whenever they were around they were there to you know take me to hospital or sit with me in hospital same with my parents really but I'd say in that sense it was mostly 
my 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 friends and the teachers in college who were really supportive because they would see most of it happening um more than my my brothers and my and my and my parents and yeah I, as again as i remember in college there was yeah a lot of support around it you know i so many times i remember some of my friends would just explain you know that it would come as a surprise to them but you know they'd see an ambulance outside and you know they'd know what's what's going on and they just tried not to um, draw so much attention to 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 myself from others and that are seeing what's going on so yeah i had a you know I, i'd say i had a good um, sense of support there um but again that's as i said only from what they're seeing and not what's really going on for me you know they're only seeing it as oh you know antonio is having these physical um struggles and that's all they knew right that because that's all they so i didn't actually tell them that that came from the stress i was experiencing or the pressure that i was experiencing it was just you know it was a physical symptom to them not nothing of mental health had even come into into mind at this point and the third question i've forgotten again well actually i'm going to change my third question a little bit if you don't mind sure. um because one of the things I remember when I first talked to, to Curious about his growing up, because he had a very similar sort of um, experiences growing up. And one of the first things I was impressed with him was the balance of doing, he did music as well, he did sport as well. So he kind of, he had a real balance across the field. Now you said you would like to have played football for, unfortunately, Manchester United. Um, <laughs> uh, I wonder, did you manage to maintain doing a sporting uh experience for yourself as well like in balance with your education or did was it top heavy i wonder how that sort of like looked for people looking in on your life at that point yeah you know do you know what it's again as you asked me these questions and i think of the answer i'm actually realizing there was a lot of facade throughout all my experiences because i would just try to disguise a lot of things that were going on through my education and through um sports as well so you know i always i played for the um school football team i played up to um semi professional football as well but all these things that were going on um all came crashing down when finally my mental health got the better of it all and even at, you know at playing semi professional football the coaches would would look at me and and then you know i i got like i think maybe two three red cards while playing football and got into a few um confrontations while playing football and you know the coaches were were confused why again you know a simple route because it wasn't because i never mentioned mental ill health that it was just an anger management issue right but it was actually all this pressure that i wasn't disclosing and so to people it seemed like i was wanting to achieve but i was struggling for some reason that they couldn't um, pinpoint and i remember you know when i first spoke of it to my football coach his whole um outlook on me completely changed you know and he started to become more supportive and in the sense that he could be became supportive in a more on a more personal level not just in a in a in a sports level so you know there were things that were put into place to try and help me um get through uh the sports side of life while also managing you know the struggles I was going through but a lot of it until I spoke of it was just me putting on this this face this facade that you know no i i enjoy football i like playing football that's all i want to do I, you know let's just play the game and again don't complain about the task just get it done you know there's no need to talk about any vulnerabilities or weaknesses and same with education i feel like if i was a lot more open i would have got a lot more support earlier than 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 sooner than later 
Um, but to everyone else, it was because I wasn't discussing it. It was just, you know, in school, well, he's this high achieving person, but now he's getting into dis into disciplinary actions. What's what's happening in football? Well, you know, he's a, he's a really good he's a really good player, and you and he's passionate about football, but he's getting into a lot of confrontations. You know, what's actually going on? So it was the idea that I say of, you know paying half the picture for someone and then the, the person looking at the portrait having to figure out what the second part of that portrait is because you haven't painted a full picture but again to come back to your question yeah I, you know I did try to balance it but I tried to balance it in a way that it looked like I was okay I was doing okay but I actually wasn't. I guess one of the things that you what you just said really struck me was that you said it would have helped if you'd been more open but what I'm hearing is that a whole bunch of professionals and adults on both sides on it on sport and on education were not able to detect uh the underlying issues for you that it's kind of like they saw you as a bit of a robot until you do something that's completely bang out of order and then they start waking up it's i'm fascinated that their job literally their job is to monitor the people that are around them and they don't spot it until you come out and do something outlandish or you tell them I find that very, very interesting, you know, from, from someone who's looked at mental health in a long way. I find it very interesting that, you know, we have to cry for help before they notice that we need help. It's fascinating because they're there for generations. They're there for, you know, 5, 10, 15 years, and they don't spot these things. You have to tell them. And I like the fact that you said, when I was asking about balance, I was talking about the balance of well-being. So people say if you do sport and you do it academic, it gives you a nice balance for your mental well-being. But in fact, it worked the opposite for you because it became like a um, it became more like a, a, a punishment for you in both ways. That you know you put so much more pressure on yourself because you were good at everything you're doing that it became much more pressure on you. What what was the point? I suppose this is the crux of where we're discussing this. What was the point where um, everything hit the fan? Like, what was the point where people woke up or you woke up and realised it's about to all blow up now? What, what, what was the trigger points for you? Yeah. Um, before I answer that, actually, I think I wanted to touch on what you said, where actually the, ba the balance you meant was well-being with sports and how that should be something that is actually... In, in um benefiting to your well-being and you're right it, it should be but when things start to become competitive in the sense that this was now semi-professional football and not just a, a leisure activity or hobby you know that's when actually the pressure comes in because it's you have to achieve to to maintain sort of thing and that's the same with you know from playing semi-professional football to to um education it was you know i agree you these professionals should have been able to detect but because sometimes we're also centered in you know achieving and you know hard working and reaching our goals we become oblivious to everything else right and we just stay stuck in this professional mode that we don't really actually pick up on the other um aspects of the other yeah the other um, stimuli are, are, are contributing to 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 the person and yeah i mean I think for me, um, what what the point that everything hit the fan was actually a mixture of things because where I was already feeling this this pressure, right, and I described it as as this board on my back that kept getting putting me lower and lower to the ground, and I at that one point I felt like I couldn't pick myself back up. 
there's actually an interesting interesting point to it where where because I was struggling with with fits and I was um referred to neurology department at my at, gen, at my general hospital for those fits there was actually a slight error in communication where I had already been referred to child adolescent mental health service but because I didn't know how to speak of, of my mental ill health there was no formal diagnosis or direction of what was going on at that point and while I was also with new neurologists trying to figure out you know what why these fits were happening there was a miscommunication in between where I was already struggling but my neurologist wasn't aware and so what happened was my neurologist prescribed me a medication um, for my fits um, and one of and and if if you look up um, one of the side effects of those um, of that medication, it actually says you know enhances suicidal ideations and it shouldn't be given to those suffering with depression or or, or with a history of you know um, that sort of mental ill health. Now this is a part that I, again I I can't speak word for word because I can't remember the, exactly the experience, but I believe somewhere in that, in that at that point my psychiatrist and my neurologist should have had a conversation or because I wasn't clear on what was going on with myself to my psychiatrist they couldn't have had that conversation whichever it was but that medication actually enhanced my feelings to want to attempt suicide and so I remember I think a few days or a week of, of taking that medication it came this morning that this one morning where I decided you know I was going to take action on on those on, on those suicidal thoughts, and that's where things. Yeah, that that was the trigger point where you know I, I I planned out how I was going to take my own life, and then in an attempt to try to do it, I actually called my child adolescent mental health service, but in, as an anonymous caller, letting them know that some something bad was going to happen. I guess it was a, a cry for help at the time, but because I kept it anonymous, I was ashamed that it, of of that cry for help. Um, but they figured out that it was me through my date of birth, pulled me out of college, took me into the uh, building. And from there, you know, that's when life changed. And they put on my um, records that I'm allergic to that medication. So I've never been prescribed that medication. So this is a really interesting segment. Um, and it just really taps into the title of this episode, Mind the Gap. Um, there were so many opportunities that you've mentioned for something to have been picked up from either school or at the doctors, um, the psychiatrist, the neurologist, like there were clear signs that something was going on, but I think that you've really hit the nail on the head there when you talked about um, the mental health conversation. It's a very recent thing in the last, what, five, ten years or so. Um, so, you know, I, I recall even myself, back then mental health wasn't a thing well-being wasn't really a thing um it wasn't really spoken about so i guess it's part of the process has been going through this process and learning how to 
understand what's going on for you and also how to interpret that to other people. Um, I want to talk campaigning. Um, can you talk about and tie in uh, your experience with your with how you do your campaigning? Yeah, sure. Um, so you know, I, again with campaigning, it, it's it's something that actually I got into, you know quite accident accidentally because what happened was um coming out of a psychiatric unit I wanted to learn about psychology because I wanted to you know improve that 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 field um for my based on my experience and I knew to to improve it I had to learn about it first you know can't you can't really um, speak on things you don't have the best of knowledge about and so yeah, you know, I went, I came out of there wanting to, to study. And so I went, I strive to um, uh, study psychology at university. And this time, you know, out of my own willingness, um, out of my own um, want to, to, to study that. But while, when I did get into university, I remember, you know, one of the lecturers saying that the, the world of psychology is very competitive and that you'll need extra experience um, along with your degree to get into it. Um, so forth, so forth. So, you know, I went and signed up to the local mental health charity um, there um, just to sort of have it on 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 my CV, um, to be honest. I didn't, yeah, you know, it's quite obvious when you sign up to be a volunteer, you're going to be asked to do volunteer activities, which for me wasn't, didn't cross my mind. So when they asked me to... Um, uh, tell my story to my university I actually said no you know I don't want to do that I just wanted my name on paper to put on my CV sort of thing so that you know I had that extra experience or at least it looked like I had that extra experience but one thing I I, I learned from all my experiences through the, through the you know light bulb moments is that the best thing a human can do is try and so I didn't want to leave it at that you know giving up at that first hurdle so I signed up again to another mental health charity and this time I went and told my um, uh, story at staff induction day and from there that's how things um, blew up I got into more charities I got into more um, activism and into campaigning but you know remember I said at the start when things become sort of they come they stop being a hobby and they start to feel like work that's when the pressure builds up and that's where the un healthy expectation comes into it, right? And so where I started this journey accidentally about wanting to change, um, improve services for, for those from my, um, minority groups, when I actually became or, you know, started to become more, um, I guess, established within campaigning, it became more like work and it, it I lost that sense of why am I doing this? You know, what did I want from this to the expectation of now people see you as this inspiration, this motivation, this hope, you have to keep that up. Right. And as a campaigner, I'm, you know, it doesn't mean that we're out of recovery. I don't think recovery is a linear thing and, you know, you, you, you're in and out of recovery. So what happens is there's a misunderstanding that because you're a campaigner, 
you you are you know quote unquote recovered and so you are this motivation you are this hope and you are this inspiration and so for me although I loved campaigning I, I, I lost ground of why I was campaigning you know what I was doing it for who I was doing it for and I got caught up in that expectation that pressure of how people viewed me and now I have to maintain that image and so I didn't give or didn't allow myself any room for expressing my vulnerabilities or weaknesses again and that became a problem in itself because you know where I was so where I started off so passionate I became riddled with this um uh, idea that you know I'd be letting people down if I didn't do as much I'd be letting you know so many people um yeah, I'd be letting so many people down if I wasn't, you know, doing campaigning here or involved here. And so I was taking on so much. And again, you know, exact same mistake, but in a different concept, wasn't given space for my own well-being. And that became detrimental in a sense that I actually lost. I ended up relapsing and going back into um, a psychiatric unit because simply because I didn't allow myself that room to speak on my vulnerabilities became I became, because I became so build up in my campaigning right um but again you go through these things to learn where your balance is at and so having had that experience I tried to manage things better and I remind myself you know why why how where I started on this journey and you know what the purpose is to keep myself grounded Mm. that was that was really interesting um it did, like it started out like oh we've got the the same things going on here um you know but it, it's it's the the idea of the achievement wanting to do things for people to make people happy to make even yourself happy in the process but there was something about the busyness of life that can sometimes overload us and and I mean, I, I wanted to kind of tap into like the diagnosis and how as a black man that's been kind of perceived, um, how has that impacted and affected your relationships with your friends, family? Um, like was was there a like how how was that that transitional kind of period for you? At first it was it was really you know disappointing disheartening in a sense that again what i said about you know the portrait having a half painted portrait and then the other half not being painted and some whoever's looking at that half painted portrait having to make up the other the other half is exactly why you know at that transitional stage it was very disappointing disheartening because as someone who was quite popular and had a lot of people around them as soon as they had the half portrait which was oh you know Antonio's in the psychiatry unit Antonio's been diagnosed with schizophrenia they made their own second half of that portrait with what they knew of schizophrenia the misconceptions of schizophrenia and that meant that a lot of people started to distance away from me stop talking to me you know didn't want to be around me and I, I you know at that time, it, might, it seemed like people were just doing that from my point of view. But, you know, later down the line, when I spoke to these some of these people, they said, you know, yeah, you know, we didn't know exactly what was happening. And so we were just told not to be around you sort of thing. Um, so the only people that actually stuck 
by me in that sense were my family and you know a handful of friends who would come visit me the same friends from college that you know were there from the beginning to the end so they had the full full portrait of what was going on but to everyone else yeah you know I lost a lot of friends I I took on a lot of rumors a lot of labels but what really changed that and again this is at the beginning as I said you know I, I fully believe in in speaking up about your vulnerabilities and weaknesses is that the misconceptions went away and the friends came back once I started to speak more or started campaigning you know so when I started to really put out my my story out there people could now understand what that second half of the portrait wasn't you know it wasn't what they had imagined it as and so what actually happened was where that stage of disappointment you know people leaving me um started it actually then changed to people came back saying you know wow we're really proud of you um you know you've you're you're doing a lot and you know even like I said you know people would say yeah you know before we thought this but now we from hearing your story we've realized actually we took the wrong approach to you and you know we respect what you're doing and more and more people more of my friends now actually open up to me about their mental ill health because you know as they say because they've heard me talk about it they feel I can relate to it so and and you know a lot of my friends come from um, minority groups so you know what what I really notice is that we're all here really struggling in silence but no one's going to talk about it until the first person they know that looks like them that can relate to them um speaks about it you know to them it's just keep going you know to, it's just do what you've got to do and you know the rest doesn't doesn't matter but as soon as you know someone sets opens that door to actually we can talk about it you know everyone follows through in that door everyone opens their own door towards it as well um and yeah you know there was yes, yeah there was many different um uh, stages to it but as I said there was the first part to it where people didn't actually know everything they just had the misconceptions and then to the point where actually he's doing you know he's doing well for himself and yeah people would just comment on that they'd say you know oh yeah you know and, and you know there's an element as well where people also didn't know how to approach the situation that wasn't their fault at all right that's something as well that has to be given consideration it's that you know as as a friend of someone struggling with mental ill health and you've never dealt with someone who suffers who has a diagnosis of mental ill health how do you actually you know deal with it how are you conf- do you feel confident enough to approach that with your friend you know so what do you do in that sense do you you know you could be influencing them you know unintentionally down the wrong something that down the wrong path that isn't beneficial to their well-being and so you in, you know, you take on some sort of fear and reluctancy to to deal with that person because it's like, well, I don't know what to do, right? So, yeah, I, I understood this from many of my friends later down the line. Obviously, it wasn't as clear at the start, but later down the line, you just had to have that understanding to those people who, one, didn't have the full picture, two, didn't know how to deal with the full picture, and then three, those who wanted to and were there through, through, throughout everything, but also had their own lives to live. See that so, so resonates with um, something I was sharing in a conversation earlier on Clubhouse this week. Um, we're talking about how like the culture of mental health and well-being has 
completely shifted now. It's 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 kind of front and center. Um, and then you have the cultural aspects of the family, the social aspects, the friendship groups, um, and how all of those intersect. Um, the generational aspect as well, because like I'm, I'm sat here Think, you know, thinking about what you're saying, and I'm like, yeah, like, conversations about mental health didn't happen when I was a kid, between me and my, my parents, and I don't think that those kind of conversations happen between her, my mum, and my dad, and their parents, I don't think that they have the conversations that we're having today, um, and of course, this point where we are right now has been a development of everything that's come before it and we are continually beginning to understand more about mental health more about psychology and the mind and wellness um what kinds of things do you do do you like what kind of tools and resources do you kind of recommend for you um I mean, I, I wouldn't kind of, yeah, speak to that, speak to that. Like, what, what do you think um, is the best thing for someone to do um, in regards to mental health, their mental health? For me, you know, without first going on, going on to the, you know, the obvious pillars of well-being and, and, and good mental, mental health, for me personally, it was really just practicing understanding, you know, having had, you know, therapy for so many years from different um, uh, therapists, I learned that one view isn't every view. And, you know, what I see as a situation isn't what the person on my right sees as a situation or the person on my left sees as a situation. You know, there's so many examples to this. For example, um, one example is when some, you know, when people say, you know, Someone has a go. Someone random, a stranger has a go at you. Um, you never know if they're just having a bad day or you know what what's going on in their life. So you know that is what I'm trying to say. And for me, it was just practicing that mentality. You know, to be more understanding of myself, the situations I I come into, and other people's um uh, input into that into that situation. You know, and. Over time, you know, that became easier to, 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 yeah, you know, to, to, to instate in my life and my daily dealings with people. You adjust and, your expectations. Yeah, exactly. Exactly <laughs> that. Exactly yeah. that. Exactly. Yeah. In, instead of exactly. having fixed ones that you're exactly. forever trying to, to reach, um, you say, you know what? Okay, that's enough for today. <laughs> exactly. No, exactly. It's okay. Right. You exactly. Gotta, I guess there's there's a part of that that's kind of at conflict because it's like, how do you make that okay? Since mm -hmm. you've got this that you need to achieve and you need to get this and be this way and please these people and go mm -hmm. here and like do meet all of the demands of life. Like it's it's it can be quite a lot. Um, you know, so it's it's good to hear about you know more specifically like what do you do 
to kind of, I guess, ease that pressure that does build up. Um, like neurology is, and neuroscience is like so fascinating. We could probably talk about that all day. Um, but yeah, Mark, um, did you have any uh, questions? We're kind of coming to the end now. Um, but yeah, we will give you an opportunity to kind of talk about um, you know where people can find you and everything right at the end, Antonio. But Mark, come in. Yeah, I just I have one quick question. Um, I kind of a, I felt a, a bit of a cutoff between the bit where you said uh, you know like you ended up um, it, having help um, for your mental breakdown sort of side of things, and to the bit where you were campaigning. Where was the? How did you? How did you grow from being in a position? where you had to confront all your vulnerabilities to then becoming a campaigner. What was the path, that, that path, that I, I kind of didn't hear that part. So I'm just curious how that happened for you. Yeah, sure. So that really came from peer support. So when I, after trying to attempt to take my own life, I was um, sent to a psychiatric unit. And that is, you know, learning from the other patients, the peer support they gave me is how I came to that you know, realisation, actually, well, first of all, I accept that's when how I learned to accept my mental ill health. And then that's where I started to learn, actually, there's a lot more to it than the I meets, you know, and I, I realised, wow, that this is a real thing. This isn't just, you know, a drama that we see on TV. This isn't just a movie that we see. This is real life. Like, you know, you're living, I was living in the world of mental ill health and where you know, a lot of people think you know, a situation as being section should break you. For me, it actually, it made me who I am today. It made me understand, you know, the whole spectrum of mental ill health. It made me find my purpose and what I want to do in life and, you know, my um, my passion. So that was the turning point. It was um, being sent to a psychiatric unit and learning from the other patients, you know, who gave to me, although they were, they were also going through their own struggles and um, in the end wanting to come out to study psychology as well and then getting into um, advocacy. Perfect. Um, and on that note then, can you just share where people can catch you next? Um, if you've got any speaking opportunities coming up next, um, that'd be great. Also mention the campaign I know that you can't well mention the campaign that you can't mention <laughs> um can you say when that is due yeah sure so um yeah, we're aiming aiming for uh the end of end of march or mid-march to launch the campaign um we're just tying up a few um things in between um but yeah look you know I'll, that'll all be throughout my instagram my twitter um yeah, and I'm on my website as well. Um, yeah, what's what's your website? Your website. As, it's just uh, as my name Antonio dot uh, Same with my Instagram Antonio Ferrero underscore mh, um, and Twitter as well. Uh, but in, so it'll be D Antonio, but the T H E will be in between my name. So that's probably easier to write down and then spell out. But um. Yeah, you know, just yeah, look out for that campaign in in March. It's yeah, it's, it's really one that I'm really passionate about, and it's a really big one. I wish I could tell you more about it, but you know, we're not far from March, so it, it'll 
it'll reach us soon enough. Um, and I definitely share it with both of you as well for you to for you two to be in the for loop. Sure. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, so, Antonio, I just want to say thank you for sharing with us and thank you for surviving. Um, because obviously you're going to help a lot of other people now that you've been through that journey and and survive that journey. So on behalf of everybody, muito obrigado, senhor. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. I'm, I'm really, I'm really glad to hear it. And you know, I, one one thing I just want to leave at is you know, as as we mentioned, a lot of pressure and expectation. Just you know, my favorite story that I really live by is the hare and the tortoise and I just remind everyone that, you know, the tortoise run by taking one by taking it one step at a time. And so, you know, no it doesn't matter about the speed the or, you know, how fast you get there. It's just taking it one step at a time and you will eventually get there. Antonio, thank you so much for that. I really appreciate you uh spending some time with us. I know um it's been a little while. Antonio's actually uh, appeared on Curious Anarchy back in November um, on the Psychosis versus Spirituality um, episode, which featured Phil Borges. Um, and we had a little bit of trouble <laughs> with the setup. So you were able to kind of, I think you spoke a couple of times and then you're having some issues with the signal and stuff. So it's, it's, um, it's been great to get you back. It's been great to actually, you know, sit down and to really open up, you know, some more of your story. And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what's to come. Um, thank you all so much for tuning in. Um, well, wherever you are. Jermaine, in the world. I wonder if we can invite Antonio back when he's launching his campaign so he can promote it here. Of course, of course. So I'd love to hear about it personally from him of course yeah definitely as long as antonio is okay with that and the people that you're working with are okay with that too um <laughs> yeah no definitely we, yeah we can we can definitely do that not a problem that would be great actually i'd enjoy to do that awesome awesome um thank you all so much for tuning in live here on clubhouse i can see diana the talking giraffe I can see Ella, I can see Don, Laurel, and I can see Fionn. Appreciate you. That's all we have time for today on Brunch with Naomi Osaka, BWNO, an episode featuring Antonio Ferreira. And we titled this ahead of time called Mind the Gap. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night.